The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We are in week nine of the Sermon on the Mount and need to remind you of a great need that we have today is Promotion Sunday, which I like because that means I get to preach in a t-shirt today. Uh, But also, really, when you think about what this day means is that it means for the last year, kids and youth have come to know Christ. They've grown in knowing Christ. Adults who have served them have grown as teachers of the word and shepherds. And it's a moment to give thanks to God really for growth that has taken place, for the privilege that we have of helping children grow and knowing Christ. And praise God, we've got growing needs in our launch pad, and, and there are lots of places you can volunteer, specifically in this hour, the 11 o'clock hour, we need people in kindergarten and third grade. And so if God would stir in your heart to help disciple children, there are great opportunities there. But right now, I'd like us to just thank God for the children He's given His, his kids that we can be stewards of to help them know Christ and grow in knowing Christ and to grow and understand what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. So let's go before God in prayer. God, we thank You for the children of Temple Bible Church. Father, thank You Lord, for Julie and Heather and Skeeta, Lucas, Danny, all those volunteers in every hour, God, that help kids to know Christ. Lord, we're grateful. God, we're grateful for the privilege of having children in our city to share Christ with, both this week and impact and every week. God, as they come and learn of the beauty of Jesus and how good He is and of His saving power, So God, as we promote, Lord, we stop to say thank you for the growth that's taken place. And Lord, we pray, Father, for continued growth in the hearts and lives of kids at Temple Bible Church. God, thank you, Lord. There are men and women in this place right now that were learning about Jesus years ago in the launch pad. So we just stop and say thank you. God, we thank you that we get to look in your word today and that we get to learn of Jesus. And Father, I pray you'd make us people who in fact do just that, learn of Christ and grow in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today in the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna talk about seeking the right reward. And we're stepping into kind of the second section of the sermon. We need to remember this is week nine for us. It was one sermon Jesus preached, and it takes about 16 minutes and 18 seconds to get through And the thesis of the sermon was this. He introed with the Beatitudes, these blessed states, and then he said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that people would see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And then he says, by the way, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Not a bit of it's going to pass away. I came to fulfill it. And, And if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's this big uh-oh moment for everyone listening. It's going to take a work of the Spirit that Jesus would send after his death and resurrection 
a work of the Spirit in the lives of those who would believe. And so the rest of chapter 5, there are these six moral obligations he mentions. And he says, hey, this is not about religious activity. This is not just about the actions. This is about heart, mind, soul, and strength, the people of wholehearted devotion, whole life disciples. And it's really about bringing glory to God through being fully human and fully alive. And then in chapter six, he begins not just to talk about these moral don'ts, but some devotion do's. And basically he's saying he's gonna create a people for whom motives matter. Why you do, what you do really matters. And he doesn't command these people to give and to pray and to fast. And some of you hear that and you go, oh great, giving and fasting. Could we talk about diet and exercise instead? (laughs) He doesn't command them to give and to pray and to fast. He says when you do it. They're deeply religious people. He's expecting that they will be doing it. And basically says in each of these things, when you do it, don't do it this way. Do it this way, and here's why. So let's read. In Matthew chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corner that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, or it might say your closet in your translation, and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In verse 16, He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus speaks of these three areas of devotion to God, and he's, he's telling them, here's what it looks like to be my people. This is not about others seeing you. It's about heart, mind, soul, strength, devotion. And so he gives them warnings and he gives them why to do what they do and why not to do what they shouldn't do. And he starts by saying, when you give. Now, I've never met anyone who sounded a trumpet when they were giving to the needy or giving to the church, but I have met people who really wanted you to know that they were giving, that they were really generous, right? You know what that looks like. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a really big giver, right? My check, literally and figuratively, it can't fit in that little box you got out there, Chase, because I'm just generous. 
People know me as a very generous person. I say that in all humility. I don't like to make a big deal of my giving, but I give a lot, right? See, that, it's the same idea. That's what people are doing. And Jesus says, hey, when you give, don't, don't do that. Because if you're not giving really for the glory of God and out of devotion to God, then it's just fake religion. People who seek God give with great hearts. So he says, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't do it like the Pharisees. And it would have been so confusing because here's this really religious people and they've, they've got a lot of money, these Pharisees and scribes, and so when they give, they make a big deal out of it. I can't give how they give. I can't give with a ceremony that they give. Should I just not give? And he says, no, don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. But give in a way that your Father will reward you. Now listen, I know we're talking about giving and, and most of you, just like me, if you look in your bank account and you look at a dozen eggs, that's about what you have, right? You can buy a dozen eggs with that. Interest rates are up, really. Are you talking about giving now? But I want to tell you, you don't want to be like me. And something sticks in my head from 18 years ago that I remember today, and I'm going to tell you right where I was because I, I remember it just as clear as a bell. It was 2005, 2004. Yeah, it was 2005, and I was traveling and preaching, was not on staff, and things were tight at the Bowers house. It was late June. I was sitting right behind where Steve Joyce is sitting right here. It's late June, and Anna Mae Crosby's up there with Gene Martin, who was our missions pastor at the time, and Anna Mae's going to Indonesia, the largest Muslim nation on the planet, to take the gospel to the people of Indonesia. And we're praying for Anna Mae, it's a cool time, and Jean says, hey, Anna Mae is missing $450 a month in her support. I'm sitting right here. My wife's sitting right here. We need 10 people who'll give $45 a month so that Anna Mae can take the gospel to the villages of Indonesia. And my wife looked at me and said, hey, our cable bill's $45. If we get rid of cable, we can partner with Anna Mae to take the gospel to Indonesia. And I looked at my wife and said, it's two months till football season. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to tell you that, but it's just true. <laughs> and then I just began to weep, just really embarrassed at who I was. Because what, what really I was saying with my life is, you know what? Those horns winning the championship is way more important than the gospel going to Indonesia in my mind. Maybe not in my mind, but certainly in my wallet, right? When it came to the brass tacks, I wasn't who Jesus was calling me to be. And I got to tell you, Laura and I would look back on that and go, you know what, getting rid of cable for a while was one of the best things. Y'all remember what cable was? Should I have said streaming services? That was one of the best decisions we made because... I had been, I ended up going to Indonesia eventually. Nobody else in my family's been, but we were able to partner with someone going to help take the gospel to Indonesia. And there is reward in it. What does it look like to enter into religious activity in order to seek reward? Because Jesus says, your father will reward you. Well, what is that? Is that a prosperity gospel we give so we'll get a lot back? 
We give financially so we get health and wealth. That's not what he is calling us to. See, the chief reward in all these things is we get to know God better. We get to see how beautiful and worthy and wonderful he is. But we also get to live the life that God intends for us to live have you ever been around someone who just wasn't generous, who just stingy, who just kept everything for themselves, didn't really like people, didn't matter what the need was, they didn't have time for it no matter how much they had? You ever been around someone who didn't talk to God very much and didn't want to talk to God very much? They're not even fun at parties if we're honest, right? You ever been around someone who utterly lacks self-control? See, if you lack self-control with with funds, you might find yourself homeless. If you can't control yourself when it comes to what and how much you drink, you might lose your job, you might even lose your family. If you can't control your sexual desires, you end up hurting you and everybody else around you. When Jesus calls his people to be the sort of people who give to be rewarded by the Father, He's calling them to be fully human and fully alive. So when we talk about giving, we don't talk about giving in a way that's heavy-handed. And we don't want to talk about it very much, honestly. But we do believe it's a part of worship, but it, we believe it's a part of worship that comes with joy. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We think it's good to give. We're excited about giving. We believe there's joy in it. I want to tell you there are cards out back uh, around the curve counter and other places in our lobby that tell you how to give online. It's how TBC does the ministry that we do. My favorite thing about these cards, Mark Rojas is so talented, he put an actual QR code in the phone. Isn't that cute? And on the back side, it tells you how to do that. If you're interested in giving as part of your worship, those are out there. What, what we want you to know is that each man should give, like Paul says, as he's decided to in his own heart. Paul's quoting Deuteronomy 16, 17. Each man should give as he's able according to the blessing of the Lord your God. And we do it secretly so that we can be rewarded by the Father. I remember right around that same time that I was being stingy. I remember seeing this video of Bono taking Chris Rock to see a charity that he worked with in Africa. And they're seeing this village where they're impoverished kids. They're bringing water and food and school to these kids and they get back in the car and Chris Rock looks at the camera and he goes, man, I love what's happening here. I want to give $10,000 to these people right now. And Bono says, I want you to understand that the path to joy is giving, but it's giving in private where no one knows. There's joy in that. And man, it was this instructive moment for me. And I'll, I'll tell you, our, our friends in Ukraine and Rwanda get this. And we see them give with joy, not out of excess, but sacrificially. One time several years ago, we got a group headed to Rwanda, not tomorrow, but next Monday to be with our sister church there. 
And as they go on this trip, they'll go to encourage the church and ministry they're doing. One time when we were headed over about 10 years ago, we found out that there was a need and if we got pastors in Rwanda motorcycles instead of bicycles, that they could go to more villages with the gospel, that they could go there quicker, that they could get home at night, not have to spend days away from their family, and then we found out if we could give them goats, that number one, that would be a source of milk for their family, and number two, those goats would make baby goats and they could sell those baby goats. So we bought about five motorcycles and then a, a bunch of goats, and then Danny had gone to Ukraine, and, and the pastors in Rwanda pray for the churches in Ukraine as, as they've gotten connected. Our churches in Ukraine pray for the churches in Rwanda, and Danny's sharing about what's going on in Rwanda, and he goes to leave the conference, and these pastors in Ukraine Sometimes money is just ridiculously tight for them. One of them walks up to Danny and said, hey, here's $300. Next time you go to Rwanda, would you buy eight goats for those pastors there? See, these are people that know that the Father rewards us. And see, here's the chief reward. There's this word that we've said about 10 or 15 times already in the sermon, and it ought to just blow us away. When you give, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your Father. This is the God who made the world and everything in it. The God who gives us life and breath and everything else. The Bible says He, he, he sustains all things by His powerful Word. The Bible says that He weighs the mountains in a scale and holds the waters in his hands, the clouds are just the dust of his feet. And he knows everything about you and me. I mean, the worst of the worst, the things you don't want anybody to know about, I don't want anybody to know about. This is the God who sent his son so that he could say to you and me, you're my child and I will reward you. Not that he needs it, he doesn't need anything we can give, but he'll take it. He invites us into what he's doing in the world. And so over the last 15 months, we don't look at numbers a lot, but we looked this week so I could tell you, because you've given over $100,000 in our community, in our county, and in the world has been given to the needy. So your, your dollars have made it possible for prisoners to be visited and hear the gospel. Because you've been generous. People in our city who wouldn't have food have it. There's a, a flood that happened in Rwanda and a flood that's happening right now in Ukraine and food's been taken to those people and the gospel has been taken to those people affected by that flood because of your gifts. And you didn't go with your big check, go, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm going to put in the general fund right now. You didn't film yourself on Instagram going, look, I'm giving online right now. You've given in secret. And the Father rewards you. But I want you to hear the chief reward is that you get to know him better and participate in the work that he is doing and you get to call him Father. So when we give sacrificially and joyfully and liberally and thankfully, we don't do it to be noticed by others. We do it to be rewarded by our Father in heaven and we do it as an act of worship. God, I trust 
you. I trust that you can do better with this than I can do with it, and so we give. Jesus doesn't just say when you give, he says when you pray. When you pray, don't be like those who pray to be seen. And he basically says Jew and Gentile both need to do this differently. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner and they pray. There's even a story in in the book of Luke about this Pharisee who's standing going, God, thank you that I am so amazing. Thank you, God, for me being me. Thank you that I'm not like this person and this person and this person and this person. God, really, I'm the greatest person I know. Just thanks. So don't do that. And then don't be like the Gentiles who just heap up empty phrases. We don't pray because we think our good deeds are going to outmatch our bad deeds. We don't give because if we do just the right things and say just the right words and do just the right steps, then maybe one day God will be pleased with us because here's the truth, there's not enough bulls and goats for us to sacrifice to please God. The sacrifice has already been made. We give and we pray and we fast because we call him Father. And he says, when you pray, go into your inner room or go into your closet. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear go into your closet, what I think is I need to move my shoes out of the way, right? There's, there's a pile, I gotta get down there. Let me tell you what I'd never, ever thought about. Read the Sermon on the Mount a whole bunch. And until Monday morning, I'd never thought, I wonder what he meant when he said go into your closet in the first century. I bet it was not a walk-in closet in those big Jewish houses in the Roman Empire while they were being occupied, right? What did he mean? Were there closets back then? There were little places where people would hide goods in secret, but really what he's talking about is something different. He's talking about what's called the talit. It's a prayer shawl. And every Jewish man had one of these and they would wear them folded over their head and they'd be folded backwards. And sometimes to get alone with the Lord, they would take the fold from one side and cover it up and take the fold from another side and cover it up. And they had been a people who tabernacled. They had lived in the wilderness in tents. They had lived in exile in Babylon in tents. And Jesus is saying, go into this secret place. Go into your tent. Get alone with God and commune with your Father. All right, because if you're, if you're praying to be seen by people, it's like chat GPT. It doesn't matter how amazing it is. It's inauthentic. That's not real religion. It's not religion the Father will accept. Go and be with this God who has saved you. Get alone with him. Long to be with him. I had to tell you, one of my favorite times at our house, I didn't tell the 930 service this. I don't know why I'm telling y'all, but I'm gonna tell you. One of my favorite things that happens at our house is when there's a lot of thunder. Because I have two little guys at my house that do not like thunder. And I think they love their daddy all the time. But man, when it's thundering, they love me. Like they, uh, they get so close to me that they've got deodorant on their heads, right? <laughs> They're up under here. And 
And it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes a storm for us to go, hey, I want to go be with the Father when Jesus says no. No, go into your inner room. Now, can you have a prayer closet? Can you go in your closet and pray? Yeah, I think that's a fine thing to do. Some people have their war room. That's a fine thing to do. Nothing wrong with that. But I think the idea is this, that wherever it is for you, for me, it's walking in my neighborhood in the morning or there's this just one spot where I go sit and read and pray and coffee up before anybody else is awake. I think it's about when do we pray? Well, we pray without ceasing. We pray always. But I think also we ought to have time in our day for sacred space, like exiles in tents remembering Jerusalem and longing for the presence of God, we got some sacred space where we long for the presence of the Father. Then I think maybe it's about sacred time that we set aside time to be with the Lord. When you pray, it's about knowing and understanding how amazing He is. And then there's a sacred posture. Maybe it's bowing. Maybe it's on your face. Maybe it's with your hands together. Maybe it's sitting. Maybe it's standing. But it's a posture of humility before the Lord. God, I know you're God and I'm not. And I'm coming to you, my Father. And we've got a sacred word that really helps us to understand how we ought to pray. See, my, my kids have never, ever come to me going, Dad, are the words I'm using okay? Are these good enough words? I've seen these other kids on TV. They use big words talking to their dad. Can I just come to you with my regular words? They don't have to ask that. I've, I've never once had a kid go, Hey, Dad, can I have breakfast? And me go, I'm sorry, could you use words with more syllables that are fancy? Those are not theological enough words for you to ask me for breakfast. Never, ever done that. And I'm pretty sure if you ask my wife and my kids, they would say God's a better dad than I am, right? See, your father knows what you need before you ask. So we go and be with the father. In a literal closet, maybe. But we go to a father who knows what we need before we ask. I want to tell you about three iterations of how I've thought about prayer in my life as a Christian, I'm still thinking about it. There's a lot of mystery, this reality that we call God Father and we ask Him and sometimes He answers exactly how we want and sometimes He, he answers not exactly how we want, but we trust that He knows what we need even when we don't understand. So I used to see these signs. They would sell them in bookstores and they would say, prayer changes things. And sometimes it does. But when I would read those signs, what it would do in me is I would think about my prayers and my words and, and me having enough faith for my prayers to change things. Well, that didn't seem quite right. And then I've seen signs and kind of, I think this is kind of a boomerang reaction to prayer changes things, to prayer changes us. And I think there's some truth to that. Prayer does change us. You commune with God and it will change you. You get to know the God who made the heavens and you spend time in his presence on a regular basis, it will utterly transform your life. So I think there's truth to that, but sometimes we said that because we didn't know what to do with God not answering prayers how we wanted to, so we just say, well, prayer changes us. It does. Well, that's not all. And kind of where I've landed now is, hey, God's really powerful and he changes things as he wills. And, and sometimes it's just amazing. And some of you have seen it. 
See, there was a guy we loved a whole lot who got a prognosis and we thought he was going to live for three or four months and he lived for six years. And I'm grateful we had those six years with him. Some of you, you've received a diagnosis and you've prayed and God has changed that diagnosis. Others of you, you've prayed and God has been with you in that diagnosis. Back in about 2004, Laura was pregnant with one of our children. I mean, it was that lean time. Y'all remember back when I was a stingy person, hadn't been changed much by Jesus. And Laura was pregnant and we needed $3,100 because everybody's excited about having babies. Nobody's excited about how much it costs to have a baby except obstetricians and gynecologists. That's not, they're not really excited about how much it costs, right? But we needed $3,100 and we were trying to figure out how to come up with that money and we figured out $1,600 that we could come up with. But, but really that was just kind of our scheming and trying to figure out how we could do it. And, and we, we prayed and we said, God, we need $3,100. And we don't know where it's coming from. And would you help us? And we have some friends from Southeast Texas that had supported our ministry some and they had no idea Laura was pregnant. They had no idea about our need. They had no idea that it was tight. We hadn't talked to them in months. And the day before we prayed, they postmarked an envelope. And we prayed for a couple days and I went to the post office and there's an envelope in there and it wasn't a bill, which was a miracle in and of itself, right? And inside the envelope, just a little note says, we just wanted to bless you. And there was a check. And that check was not for $3,000 and it was not for $3,200. It was not for $3,300. $3,100. The Father knew what we needed before we asked. Listen, the reward was not getting the check for $3,100. The, the blessing was this reminder of this God who cares for us and understands our situation more deeply than even we do. And it is good to call on his name. He rewards those who seek him chiefly with himself. So when you give, you do it in secret so that your father might reward you. When you pray, you do it in secret so your father might reward you. Writer Hebrews says, if you come to God, you must believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. Why? He was looking to his reward. To be counted as part of the people of God. So when you give, give in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. And when you fast. I mean, did he really say when you fast? Surely he meant if, right? I mean, fa fasting's this mysterious thing. And what happens? Like, can you go 24 hours without eating? Or do you have to go to the ER for that? I don't know what that feels like. You guys remember what it's like for your stomach to growl? 
But he says, no, you do this, and when you do it, you do it because you long to be with the Father. In Matthew chapter 9, there's this instance where the Pharisees are going, hey, John, John the Baptist's disciples fast, Jesus. Your disciples aren't fasting. And he's, he says, I'm the bridegroom. When I go away, the friends of the bridegroom, my disciples, they're going to fast because I'll be going away. They'll want me to come. See, fasting is about this longing for Jesus. Fasting is a feast on him. Fasting says Jesus is better than food because food is not life's greatest treasure. Maybe it's not food you need to fast from. Maybe it's a Netflix series that you think it's life's greatest treasure right now. You can't get enough. Maybe it's electronics you lay aside. Maybe it's your phone you lay aside. But whatever it is that right now you functionally live like it's life's greatest treasure. Fasting says, no, it's not. God is. Fasting seeks God not as a means to an end, but because we know he satisfies, because his love is better than life, because we've tasted and seen that he is good, because we know this call from Isaiah 55, why do you spend your labor on what does not satisfy and your money on that which is not bread? Come to me without money, without cost, and I'll give you wine and bread. I'll supply you with the richest affair. I'll satisfy you. Fasting says Jesus satisfies. John Piper says fasting is a future-oriented counterpart to the past-oriented celebration of the Lord's Supper. Let me say that again. Fasting is a future-oriented counterpart to the past-oriented celebration of the Lord's Supper. Well, how's that? See, as we eat, we remember what Christ has come and accomplished. And when we do not eat, we do not eat because we long for the bridegroom to return. As you came once, so come again. Fasting also helps us with this. See, since the garden, we've all had this problem with this sort of food that looks really, really satisfying, but it'll kill you. And God says, no, 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 there's this tree of life that you eat from. That tree of life, that's the tree of Calvary where Jesus died and rose from the dead. So when we give, we're confessing he's our shelter, he's our shepherd, he can take care of us and we trust him. When we pray, we proclaim he's our rock and our refuge, there's nobody else for us to go to, we're coming to him. And when we fast, we declare he is bread and he's better than anything the world has to offer. A people who gives and fasts and prays for the glory of God is a people who are concerned with wholehearted devotion and whole life discipleship. It's about the glory of God. It's about human flourishing. It's about being fully human and fully alive. See, have you ever met a person who just wasn't generous? Really, really stingy? Very greedy, whatever they had was theirs and they just wanted their stuff and more of their stuff and they didn't have time to help you or anybody else. You ever met a person who didn't know God, didn't want to know God, didn't talk to God, and didn't want to talk to God? You ever been around someone who utterly lacks self-control? Maybe that's you right now. There's an area of life where you know, and I'm just losing it here, and I need help. See, Jesus isn't calling this people or this people to muster up enough faith to get it done. 
He lived and died and rose from the dead and sent his spirit for all who would believe that he might transform us into a generous people who love to commune with him for whom he is our greatest treasure, for for whom he is our greatest hunger. See, life without him, life undevoted to him is really just no way to live. Our Father who sees in secret will reward us. And he'll reward us chiefly with a gift of himself. See, only Jesus can change us and only in Christ can we be fully human, fully alive, living the lives God intends us to live. And there is a life he intends for us to live that magnifies him and that fills us with joy and his presence. The chief end of all humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus is not calling us to a life of a new law. He's calling us to be fully human and fully alive in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you to turn our feeble and fickle hearts toward you. And God, we need the bread that you give. Lord, we've all tried in various ways to feast on what the world has to offer and it just doesn't satisfy. It just brings us death. Lord, we've tried life without you. And we get nowhere. So God, would you make us long for you, Father? God, maybe our fast this week would be that we're gonna lay aside food one of these impact days to pray for children and their families to come to know Jesus in our city. God, I thank you for men and women in this room who have given food so that impact will happen. Some are gonna give their time as they drive or host. God, we thank you, Lord, that that together we get to be Temple Bible Church, but more than that, we thank you that we get to be yours. And so, Father, would you make us a people who long for you more than anything? And God, would you satisfy us every day with your unfailing love? Would you be the reward and the treasure that we seek? God, that you might get a whole lot of glory and that we might get the joy that belongs to those who are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.